0: Most people don't like going through change. I totally get it. It can be overwhelming and a lot of times we're just comfortable where we are, but change is inevitable and it's a natural part of the growth process. Now, whenever change comes, to be successful in that change and to minimize the pain that comes with that change, it's important for us to manage that change manage it not only for ourselves, but in a lot of instances, there's a lot of change happening within an organization that needs to be managed as well. That means processes, that means people's points of view, their way of thinking, their emotions. There are a lot of moving parts and elements that need to be managed. When it comes to building an inclusive brand, Particularly for organizations that are really just getting started with inclusive marketing and serving or doing a better job of serving people from underrepresented and underserved communities, there's a lot of change associated with that. There's change in mindsets, there's change in processes, there's changes in just what your overall philosophy is and how you show up. There's change in just ways of doing things. Sometimes that even means a change in values, right? So in this episode, we're going to talk about really just ways to think about how to manage change especially as it relates to inclusion. And to do that, I sat down with Nancy Harris, founder of Restart Consulting. So after this short break, you're going to hear my discussion with Nancy as we talked about smart ways to think about the change management process as you're working to build an inclusive brand. Okay. I've got another podcast recommendation for you. It's The Product Boss hosted by Jacqueline Snyder, brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. Now in this show, Jacqueline helps you take your physical product sales and strategy to the next level so you can create your dream life. Now, Jonathan and I often toy around with the idea of selling some type of physical product. And while the idea of doing that seems super dreamy, I know. There's a whole lot of details and nuts and bolts involved with being able to do that well. So I know when it's time for us to get closer to thinking about that idea, I know I'm going to get a ton of insights and information from Jacqueline on the Product Boss podcast. And I've listened to a few episodes already and the advice is beneficial even if you're not selling a product-based business. Go and listen to the Product Boss wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Nancy. Thanks so much for joining me today. How are you? I'm doing well. Tell me a little bit about your business and the work that you do.
1: Yeah. So my business is Restart Consulting, and I've been in business for seven years. But prior to that, I spent 20 years in the people, culture, and change space. And that through line, through everything has been a focus and a commitment around equity and inclusion. So my business, Restart Consulting, we focus in three areas. The first and foremost is coaching. And I specialize working with um, women and people of color leaders, um, helping us navigate through um, corporations and and all the things that are associated with advancing or maybe deciding to choose a different path outside of corporate. Um, I also consult. So I do retained advisory. I like to call myself uh, maybe the Wizard of Oz, like the person in the back that you don't see that's helping um, leaders to think strategically about people and culture and really centering on equity and inclusion. And then the third thing um, that uh, we do is, is the collective. And the collective, it's going through a name change and a branding change, but really what it is, it's a collaborative learning community and it's designed for leaders who are committed to creating equitable and inclusive workplaces. So it's the three C's is, uh, you know, what it is that that I do that I'm passionate about and that I'm committed to.
0: That sounds amazing. And it really does cover, like, I, I am, I guess, a coach, but like an advisor behind the scenes for people as well. And like, I think that people don't realize that a lot of leaders need this stuff too, especially yes. if it's new, like it's, it's not intuitive for everybody, nor should it be the expectation necessarily that it's intuitive. But if you want to make it a priority, you need a way to keep somebody sort of there that you can go to and ask questions of. And that's their job to answer yes. your questions. <laughs> yes. And I would say it's, it when you're
1: a leader, when you, you know, get to certain levels it's lonely there, right? You are the only person, and you know whether this is right or not wrong. A lot of times, there's this expectation that leaders are supposed to know everything, right? We know that that's not realistic, and so to be able to have somebody that you can can lean on and rely on and ask questions of in a safe space is so is so important for leaders to be able to have.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so I'm curious. We're two, three weeks away, two weeks away maybe from the Supreme Court ruling on affirmative action. And I'm curious with your proximity to leaders now, um, you know, coming advising them. What are your thoughts? What questions do they have? And how are you even advising people on how they should be thinking about their people strategy in the context of this recent Supreme Court ruling, or if they should be even changing anything that they're doing now as a result of it? I certainly think that,
1: um, I want to rewind a bit and say I wasn't surprised, disappointed, but not surprised by um, the decision. And... What I am seeing leaders say is that, okay, we're just, we're focusing on it even more, right? We're, you know, if we want to say some folks are doubling down. Yes. Are there probably some percentage of folks that are like, ooh, all right, that means I don't have to worry about any of that. That's not who I'm working with, nor do I want to work with those leaders and organizations. And so what I have seen and what I have told my leaders is, It's like, you got to keep fighting the good fight. You know, it may look differently. You may have to approach it from a different, you know, lens or perspective. But at the end of the day, what I have heard from the folks that I work with is that they're even more committed than ever.
0: Yeah. That's always a good thing. That's good to know. Because like, sometimes I think you hear the narrative that there's like diversity fatigue and all the other kind of stuff. And I don't know, are you finding that? That's true or it depends on the type of leader that you're engaging with.
1: I think it depends on the type of leader that that you're engaging with. So certainly you know I don't even know if I like that term diversity fatigue, right? Yeah. I'm kind of like what does that really mean, right? I yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, do you have finance fatigue? Do you have marketing fatigue? Like no. I never hear anybody saying anything like that. So yes, I think for those leaders and organizations where they don't have a strong focus and anchor in why they're doing it, why they said they wanted to focus on equity inclusion. When you don't have that anchored why, you can sway back and forth in terms of your commitment. But for those organizations and those leaders who have said, this is something that I'm committed to, this is something that I'm I'm sticking with, this is part of the fabric of the organization, then they're committed to it. It's just like it's another, you know, I don't know, glitch in the road, you know, you just, you just got to find a way to, 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 to work around it, work over it, go through it and, and keep moving forward.
0: All right. From your perspective, where do organizations struggle the most when it comes to DEI? Oh gosh, here's what I think.
1: And again, I want to caveat with this depends on organizations and where they're at in their journey. But one of the things that I see is A lot of organizations will say, it's a DEI initiative. I'm sure you've heard this. DEI initiative, DEI program. Um, We're going to have one person lead our DEI program, (laughs) and they have no resources. They have no people resources or budgetary um, resources to, to change our culture. So I think part of that, one of the things that I see is thinking of it as an initiative, as a program, as separate from the way in which you do business, the way in which you lead your business. You, you and I were talking before we were recorded, and you were saying, oh, you know, I noticed when you had your Calendly link that you put on there, you know, is Zoom accessible, do you know where I got that from? I got that from someone who does not do DEI work. <laughs> she's a marketing person. And I signed up, you know, scheduled a meeting. And it said, is, you know, is Zoom accessible? What are your pronouns? And I thought, oh, my goodness, I'm going to screenshot that. And I'm going to add that. Yeah. And I say all that to say, she's not a DEI marketing person she's just doing it. Yeah. And so the more we start just incorporating these things into how we lead and how we show up versus it's the program, it's the it's the head of DEI or racial equity that it's their responsibility to no, it's everybody's responsibility. It's your responsibility as a leader to show up that way. So that's one of the biggest things that I see in organizations is that we've productized and you know made DEI into a program, into an initiative with a start and an end, and that's not what it is.
0: Yeah, I saw on LinkedIn um, soon just before we we started chatting, someone talking about on their last job search they put their pronouns on their resume, and. They, the, the point of it was they were saying like they noticed that they got a lot less hits on their resume as a result of putting their pronouns. But one of the reasons why they put the pronouns on there was to avoid being misgendered during the interview process, yeah. but they were still misgendered during the interview process. And I think that as you were talking about, like it just needs to be what you do and it's how we operate, how we put it into our culture. It's not an initiative. It's like this is just the way we do things. If we were to rethink it of what if we proactively ask people what their pronouns were yes. so that everyone can be gendered properly as they're being, you know, interviewed, etc. And it's just part of the I'm gonna say the workflow is part of just the culture, the part of just how we do things. So that we get it right and it doesn't feel like an initiative. It's just this is just what we do. <laughs> exactly.
1: I love it. I was coaching, I was working in an organization supporting their VP of people and culture. And they were about to roll out an onboarding program. And I told the VP, I said, it would be great when you introduce yourself to use your pronouns. And she said, I don't I don't feel comfortable with the the pronouns. And I said, but it's not about you feeling comfortable. It's about how you make the people who are you're welcoming into your organization. It's about them. It's not about you. So it's to your point, it's, it's these seemingly small things that are really powerful. Right. That, you know, when the focus is on me and I don't feel comfortable, it's like, well, it's not about you.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I think that if we sometimes put it in different contexts people understand it in a different way. So let's talk about, let's do this one. Okay. How many times have somebody said to another person, oh, congratulations on your pregnancy, but they're not pregnant?
1: Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Right?
0: Mm -hmm. And we of course, aren't going to put signs on people or labels pregnant, not right? Like, so people know, say something, don't say something, but wouldn't it have been helpful to know so that you're not putting your foot in your mouth and saying something to someone, you know that way. Another time was yeah. whenever my daughter was born. I remember I put a foot on Facebook. My mom put a foot on Facebook. Anyway, people were like commenting, saying all these things, and someone that I known from years ago, they were like, "Oh, it's a cute little fella," and my, my mom was just like so her feathers were so ruffled like she felt the need to respond not on her post on my post to the person <laughs> it's a girl right like she but she wanted to make sure that she was wasn't and you know how babies yeah. and little kids often you don't know right <laughs> you don't no do. <laughs> <laughs> but um it bothered her enough that she wanted to be make sure yeah. that this person knew It's the same type of thing that it's just a matter of like, if you want people to say your name correctly, wouldn't it be great if you told people how to say your name? Right. And so it's Mm -hmm. just those types of things where we're creating a culture where we can be respectful of people and we minimize the microaggressions that happen by, you know, misgendering people or saying people's names wrong or saying things about people's appearance or Congratulations on your pregnancy. Yes. Like you're not pregnant, right? You know, like all these mm-hmm. different things.
1: <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So true.
0: Um. All right. So, what are your was your perspective on the change management required to infuse inclusion with an organization? Because a lot of times it's great whenever it's baked into the DNA of an organization and that's just how they operate. But in most instances, that's not what it is. And it's a, it's a where they need to go. Like they're putting it in and ha- figuring out how to start infusing it. So there's a lot of change management associated with that. Yeah. One of
1: the biggest opportunities and oftentimes misses is organizations will not assess where they're at. And anybody that's done change management... That's what you do. I mean, I've done change management for systems implementations, for you know, it, to culture changes, right? And a lot of times, and I'll use you know, 2020 is the not great example, but example of people just saying we need to do something as it relates to DEI. Well, where's your organization, right? There, there needs to be an assessment, and there needs to be an assessment of the readiness. I will use an example of an organization that I worked with, and they brought in someone to focus on anti-racism. I mean, they were not ready for that conversation. I mean, they needed to, to be talking about, you know, how do you define equity? How do you define diversity? What does that look like? and not to be talking about white supremacy culture. They were not ready for that. (laughs) So I would tell any organization, you don't have to, I mean, if you want to go out and and hire a consultant to do an assessment, you can do that. There's probably some simple things that you can do internally, you know, if you've got an internal HR group that can do some surveys and find out. But it's really good to assess where you are and the readiness there. And I want to even say a pre-step to that readiness is – why are you doing this? Why is this important? And again, that's also that kind of pre-step that's often forgotten. It makes sense if you're doing a systems implementation. Why are we doing it? The software is no longer going to be supported by fill in the blank. Okay, that's our why, right? right. Oftentimes with this work, what's, what's your why? Why is this important for you? Why is this important for the organization? And oftentimes that step, that question is is not asked.
0: Yeah, that's true. And I guess that sort of sets the foundation for everything that you do after that because it's something that's not based upon, oh, everybody needs anti-racism training. Everybody needs unconscious bias training to what is it that we're currently doing that isn't working well from an inclusion standpoint? Yeah. And how can we make the people that are here right now feel you know, safe seen, supported like they belong um, and going from there.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So that is just th- those two key things that are often missing, missing, often overlooked, particularly as it relates to the, to the change around DEI.
0: Okay. All right. Take a big, slow, deep breath in through your nose. One, two, three, four now slowly exhale and push that breath and all the stress and tension out of your body four three two one that calm you're feeling right now that's what you get with hubspot they're all in one customer platform replaces the chaos of all those random tools you're using now with a single powerful platform for all your teams Get everyone in the same frequency and boost output. Take care of the tedious stuff with AI-powered tools, generate better leads for marketing, close more deals for sales, and earn more five-star reviews for service. So don't hold your breath. Enjoy the zen that HubSpot brings to growing your business. Visit HubSpot.com to learn more today. Are there other things that you feel like people are struggling with as it relates to DE&I or or making sure that they're building an inclusive organization or a culture that you want to just kind of flag for folks?
1: I'm going to circle back to the first thing that I said, and that is around looking at it as an initiative, right? So what happens time and time again, I think we may have talked about this a little bit earlier, maybe DEI fatigue, that word has come up, or this is something else that I have to do added to my role as a leader. Now I have to do DEI, or now I have to think about that. That is something that gets organizations, I was gonna say, kind of like tripped up, right? So I I do think that piece around looking at it as an initiative. The other piece that I think is so important is that a lot of times the folks who are responsible for creating the culture and setting the strategy, the leaders that are responsible for that, they want to outsource DEI to someone else. Let's have our head of DEI come in and do it again with no resources and no support. Or let's have our employee resource groups or our DI council. Let's have them lead the charge as it relates to DEI. And I used this example um, in my podcast. And I said, you know, would you ever do that with finance? Would you ever say, okay, you know what? We've got a group <laughs> of employees who are really passionate about finance and the financials. So let's have them run and decide, you know, wh- what direction. we should, Let's have them just go and do and set the direction our financial strategy. You would never do that. Yeah. And so that's what often happens. And so, you know, I do believe that DEI can be bottom up, top down, but at the end of the day, it's it's starting with leadership. <laughs> it's starting with leaders commitment and you cannot outsource that. You cannot give it away, and that's a big problem.
0: Yeah. It's true. I remember when I worked in corporate and i worked i was in marketing for my my career in corporate and i remember i got to a certain point to where i needed to manage the budget <laughs> and it was in having that sort of financial understanding and budget management was a part of my core competency yeah. like as a part of a skill set that and if we looked at like the progression the career progression you know, I wasn't managing the p and l or the profit and loss statement for the brand, but like I definitely had my area that like, this is your budget. And this is how. I, and you know, it required me ongoing meetings with finance and understand like and so that was part of the skill sets that I needed to develop if I wanted to progress in my career. And wow. I think we need to say the same type of thing instead of like we're not going to be outsourcing DNI and just like those people will handle it. How can we infuse it into people's job responsibilities and things that they need to show proficiency in at, you know, once they're progressing at different levels within their career? And that is applicable for no matter what vertical or whatever sort of. I would say um, subject matter area. I'm blanking on like what the term functional yeah. area. Yes, yes, yeah. functional yes. area.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm going to, you know, I spent many years in in HR and people and culture, and huh, that's. I mean, somebody's probably going to be mad about this, but that's an area that needs a lot of work.
0: <laughs> so yeah. I'll just
1: leave it at that. Right, that's yeah. a whole other podcast. Yes. <laughs>
0: There's a lot of work to be done on a lot of different levels. So, you know, it's, it's just part of it. Okay. Yes. Um, what best practices do you have or recommend for organizations who want to build an inclusive culture? I, sh- I
1: often shy away from that, like best practices. Um, <laughs> the reason why I say that is a best practice for Google maybe a different best practice for, you know, a small, you know, nonprofit somewhere, right? So I put the caveat in there as well. But I will say, regardless of where you're at, centering on, you know, why you're doing what you're doing. So I'm going back to that point again, like the purpose, you know, why is it important to have an, an inclusive culture? Why is it important to do that, right? And so I think centering on that, getting clear on that, And always making sure that you go back to that, like going back to your why. And I also see best practices, and I'm using that term, is that when organizations can weave in equity and inclusion into just the way in which they do things, it becomes a way in which they just do things. So that is a best practice. Again, it's not the initiative over here it's, okay, you know what? I'm in human resources and I'm leading up talent acquisition. And I want to make sure that our job descriptions are inclusive. So what are some things that I can do? You don't need to have a PhD to figure that out. You just need to slow down, ask some questions, and you don't need to have a DEI professional to do that, right? So the more opportunities that you can look at your processes, how you do things and just slow down and ask some questions, where could we be a bit more inclusive? Who's missing from this table or whose voice is missing from this, you know, fill in the blank that we're not hearing. Those are just some some things that are just so powerful that we often you know, don't think about because we're running and we've got this to do and that to do, but that's how you can make that some best practices that just you're living what it is that you're saying that you're doing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I like that. I like that. This has been like, there's so many, there's so many things that we've covered. And I think it's such a rich conversation. Where can people um, find you if they want to learn more about you and your work? Yeah. So people can
1: find me. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, uh, Nancy Harris. Also, you can find me on Instagram. I think it's re- at Restart, because I should probably know what the handle is, but I don't know. Um, but I'm on Instagram. Um, and then also, uh website is uh, restartconsult.com.
0: And you've got a podcast, too?
1: And I have a podcast. It's called The Intersection Podcast. Nice.
0: Yes. Nice. All right. Any parting words of wisdom for business leaders who want to manage the change of building inclusive culture? Uh, My
1: words would be stay committed and stay connected. Sometimes it feels like you may be the only person that is committed to this or it's really hard. And there are community of folks and there's folks that are just as committed as well. So that ability to stay, you know, connected and, 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 and be a part of something else is just so important. So again, stay committed and and stay connected.
0: Oh, I, I do have a separate question for you. Yeah. Can you tell me about a time when in a business made you feel like you belonged? And going can be like you as a consumer or just kind of, out and about and you saw something like, tell me about a time where a business made you feel like, oh my gosh, I feel so seen.
1: (laughs) Mm, That is, you know, I, am a big like makeup fashion person. And so I have to give um, kudos to Sephora. Anybody that, that um, I can tell you that I remember walking into the store years ago and actually seeing like makeup art, you know, black makeup artists, right? Like actually people there that like could do your makeup. But what was also so fantastic about Sephora is that they actually had makeup for my skin tone. It was like, you could tell, um, that they had been really intentional about that. And I think over the years they've, they've, Done even even more so. So that that's one of those where it seems really small, but it's like, oh,, you, I'm seeing folks that are, you know, reflected and and look like me. Um, and so I think they have done and continue to do a, a really good, good job.
0: Yeah. yeah, i I love support, too. I did a, a brand photo shoot. A couple of years ago, and I went and got my makeup done at Sephora. And I remember whenever I was scheduling the appointment and I was like, I need somebody because I wasn't living in Argentina at the time. So I did it. I was in Philadelphia. I was in Philadelphia for a client meeting. And I was like, so let's do this. So I, I wrote in to like the scheduler. I need somebody who knows how to do makeup for a black woman. And the woman who did my makeup was white. But she did a fantastic job. Mm-hmm. And I love that, like you were saying, it was sometimes they had they had black makeup artists. But for me, that would have been fantastic. But this girl did a fantastic job in that they know that it's not, it doesn't just have to be yes. this person is available for this kind of person, that we've got people who are well versed and they can serve. Doesn't matter. They know how to do makeup on all kinds of people. Yes,
1: yes.
0: (laughs) And that's not the case in a lot of instances, unfortunately. No,
1: it's not. Yeah, I won't talk about one where I went in (laughs) and say the name of the the company or the brand. And I said, oh, I'm looking for something. They said, oh, maybe you should look for, you know, Bobby Brown because like essentially we don't have your color. I said, okay, I won't ever buy any product from that brand.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally get it. (laughs) Thank you so much, Nancy. This has been just a blast chatting with you. Thanks so much for stopping by. I really enjoyed that chat with Nancy. And I think it's important to remember that sometimes small things really do make a big difference. And as we're going through this process or this change management process to build an inclusive brand, and especially as we're managing other people, our teams, emotions, because there's so much bias that people already have as it relates to inclusion and diversity and belonging and equity and all that good stuff. Let's just remember that we're not doing this for us individually, and it's not about us. It's really about the people that we're serving on the other end of it, the impact that we're going to have on them, And of course, we're business leaders, we're marketers, the impact that we're going to have on our businesses. So our own personal hangups and hiccups can't be the driving force on whether or not we get on board with this and whether or not we implement the systems and the adjustments in the way we operate to make the impact that we want to have. All right, that's it for today's episode. If you like the show, I would so appreciate it if you leave a rating and review for it in your podcast player of choice. It really does go a long way towards helping more people discover the show. And I want to give a shout out to Jamie Fisher Jr. who left this really wonderful review on Apple Podcasts. It's a five-star review. It says, great information. I love, and that's love in all caps, listening to this podcast and getting so many insights and ideas from Sonia for my business. Always enjoy tuning in to this podcast. Always fresh takes and interesting dialogue overall. So much great information. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jamie. I really do appreciate you taking the time to leave a review and to share your feedback. Another way that you can support the show, if you're finding value out of it, is to share it with your friends, colleagues, and your network. I like to believe that whenever more people are able to discover and listen to this show, it means that more people ultimately will be able to feel like they belong, which is really what we're all about here. Another quick question for you, have you joined the Inclusion and Marketing newsletter? If you haven't, like really, what are you waiting for? What are you even doing? Go to inclusionofmarketing.com slash newsletter and get signed up. I'm going to drop a link for you in the show notes as well. Each week I send news, stories, insights, commentary, tips, lots of really great juicy information for you to help you think about and apply what's happening in the world of inclusion and marketing to your business so you can get more customers, particularly those from underrepresented and underserved communities to feel like they belong with you. And of course, tie those to positive business results. So go ahead and get signed up. Until next time, remember everyone deserves to have a place where they belong. Let's use our individual and collective power to ensure more people feel like they do. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you soon.